Turn to Matthew 7, if you would, in your Bible or on your app or whatever device you have. And uh, I'm going to read it, and then we will, or actually I'll read it, we'll pray, and then we'll get into God's word for this morning. So uh, join me, Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story that Jesus told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we pray, Lord, that you would just give us some insight, that your spirit would speak to us and help us to uh, see what you have for us today. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that we've already studied. And we pray for you to open us up and help us to hear what you have us to hear today. In Jesus, your name. Amen. Okay, so... um, I don't know if you've been with us for our entire series in the Sermon on the Mount, but um, I would go along with what's said here at the end of the sermon where it says that people were astonished at the teaching of Jesus, and I have been like astonished again looking at the Sermon on the Mount uh, this time. Uh, I taught through it many times myself, but listening to Tucker, listening to John Whitaker, listening to Noah, Parker, all these guys teach This Sermon on the Mount, I have been blown away by this manifesto of Jesus and like what it means to be actually part of his people. And so I find myself just constantly saying with these crowds, like, wow, this is amazing. This is such good teaching. It's so relevant to our culture right now. It's so uh, uh, prime for what we're experiencing. And I get the privilege today to close up this series in Matthew 5 to 7, and I would prefer in some ways if Tucker did that, but I'm so thankful for the privilege to uh, talk about this story of Jesus here in Matthew 7. Uh, We're going to go through what Jesus has already outlined. Jesus has already said what it means to be truly blessed in his kingdom what it means to know him, what it means to follow him. He has hit at in this sermon the heart of religious theater. So people who put on a show for God, uh, he's hit at that. He said that that hypocrisy is not what he is all about at all. And and in addition to that, there have been so many highlights where he's instructed us like, God is a father. He loves you. He is for you. He's with you. He is somebody who cares for your anxiety, somebody who really wants to uh, take away all of the things like materialism or unbelief that are causing you this stress in your life in the first place. And so uh, I love what Jesus has talked about. And in this chapter, chapter seven, he's already talked about two uh, different analogies. He said, enter into my kingdom. Enter into my kingdom because there's a broad way that leads to death and there is a narrow way that leads to life. Uh, And in addition to that, he said, there are two trees. There's two types of fruit. There is the fruit 
that is good fruit of real following of Jesus, and then there's the bad fruit of false prophets who deceive you. And there are real fruits of people who love God and and do what he said, and then there are people that put on a show, people who say, look at all the works that I've done. I've cast out demons. I've done all these things, miracles in your name, Jesus. And so he draws this distinction here between the two things. And this last story of Jesus is when he wraps it all up. And so he said, enter. I want you to come into the kingdom. I want you to be a part of God's kingdom. And then he says, beware of people who would deceive you. Beware of yourself because you can deceive yourself really and you can think that you're following me when you're not. And in our text today, as he wraps it up, he tells this story, this parable. And what's interesting is it's actually the first parable in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, And and the Bible, when you see first things, they're really important. So I think you should hear this parable extra clearly today that this is very, very important. It's, It's the first picture that Jesus wants to take all these teachings and he wants to concrete them in our hearts and minds. He wants to cement this picture in so that we can see it clearly. And it's about two houses and two builders. It's about two ways to live. One leads to flourishing. The other one leads to destruction. And so... Um, I'm thankful for this passage because it comes with this built-in kind of illustration or analogy, and I am typically an illustration-deficient preacher. And so when Jesus gives the picture, it's nice because I don't have to do that work, and I can just say, this is the picture Jesus is painting here, and so that's what we're doing, is this is the best illustration that you could possibly have. Um, if you are familiar with church, uh, if you've been raised in church, I, I don't know how many of you have been, then you'll know this story from the song that you sang in Sunday school, right? Like, I'm, I'll try, I don't know if I should try or not, but the wise man builds his house upon the rock, right? You guys could do it. You could do the hand motions. I can see you do that. Um, maybe you remember that. If not, you know this story just because culturally it's something that just hits a note with us. We've heard somehow about the, the foundation of our life needing to be rock, or we've heard that like, there's things in life that aren't very sure, that it's the sand that you, that, that you would build on. And so it relates on so many levels. I mean, if you are a construction worker, uh, you just know Jesus is telling the truth here. Uh, it's, it's clear, it's concrete, it's direct, that yes, if you build on the right foundation, it will work. And then in addition, if you are moving to Boise or have moved to Boise, you know what, or did I say that right? Boise, sorry. Um, if you've moved here, then you know that you looked for a house and you were concerned about what materials were used. You got an inspection and you wanted to know that that foundation was properly built. Um, or maybe you've been through a natural disaster uh, in another land far, far away, California, um, you know, and And so maybe you've been through that and you know when you hear this story, you feel it experientially that you've been through some severe storms, so to speak. So this story speaks volumes, but it's it's not just connecting with us. It's trying to point out spiritual truth, obviously. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Um, He is this picture of the prophet that's better than Moses. He's the picture of Solomon. He's wiser than Solomon here. And in in this... uh, Last part of the Sermon on the Mount, he does something that's very Solomonic, that's very much like the Old Testament in Psalm 1, when Psalm 1 says, blessed are those that do not 
listen to the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law they meditate day and night. They'll be like the tree that bears its fruit in seasons. You know, and, and so he paints the same picture, but the, the wicked are not so. They will be like the chaff that the wind drives away. And so Jesus draws for us as we close this sermon two options, two options. And, and he does that with two words here. I want to point them out. First of all, wise, wise. Um, it's the Greek word phronomos. Not that that means anything to most of us, but um, what it does mean is in the Greek culture, this person was trained in virtue, that their Socratic Aristotelian wisdom would make them into virtuous people, not just philosophy for the sake of it. And so they said that the wise person was those who knew the truth and acted upon it. And then for the Jewish mind, Jesus uses the word here for fool. He uses the word Moros, which is where we get our word moron, right? And so the subtitle of this sermon today is Don't Be a Moron, all right? I just want to tell you that. Um, and that's for myself and for all of us today. You might say, whoa, wait, that is kind of rude of Jesus to say that. But didn't he say in chapter 5, verse 22, that we should not call anyone a fool? He did. Um, the difference is that's you and me. When we call each other fools, when we're in the car and we're driving or whatever the case may be, when we call each other fools, the problem is that we're doing that out of a self-centered heart, a, a heart of anger and bitterness that says, I am better than that person. Now, the fact is Jesus is better. And Jesus is the king. Jesus is the wise sage. And Jesus here is saying, um, I can define for you, not out of looking down upon you, but out of mercy and compassion, I can define for you what foolishness is. And I want to say, look, all he's trying to do is help you. All he's trying to do is help us this morning. Like, look, you could be wise. Or look, you're going to be foolish. That's the choice set before us in this uh, passage of scripture. And so hopefully you're not too offended at Jesus's words. Hopefully when he calls out your folly, then you do not react because you don't want the outcome. You don't want the outcome of the foolish man in this story. You do not want that. And so I want to get Jesus's help. I want you to get Jesus's help today. And so we're going to look at three things uh, today about this passage that I hope will help. First of all, we're going to look at the similarities of these two houses and the builders. And then we're going to look at the differences of these two houses and the builders, and finally, the outcomes of the two houses and the builders. And so I hope this will help us. And so let's dive right in. First of all, look at verse 24 and verse 26. And the first thing I want to point out is that both of these wise and foolish builders hear God's word and they build houses. And very simple, very clear that there is a similarity happening here with these two men, with these two situations. So Jesus is speaking as he has been throughout the Sermon on the Mount to all the crowds. So he spoke to his disciples, but many people are hearing him. And so many people are coming under the sound of his word and saying, you know, Jesus has something that I'm interested in here. He has something that I, I want to know about. And, and of course, why wouldn't you? The Sermon on the Mount itself has been beautiful. I mean, he's used uh, various words to kind of like draw our attention. I mean, no one I think should disagree with what this sermon's about. So he, he talks about humility and reward. He talks about forgiveness and mercy in this sermon. He talks about justice 
and peace. He talks about purity and faithfulness. He talks about honesty and love towards people. He talks about trusting in God and, and, and acceptance by God. And then he talks about loving God and loving your neighbor. I mean, isn't that good? Isn't that something that we can all say, yes, that's good. And, and so Jesus is making the point here as we hear his words that everybody hears his words. And the similarity between these two people is that like all people from all religious backgrounds, they hear the words of Jesus. Everyone seems to respect the Sermon on the Mount. People will say, I don't like anything else in the Bible, but I like this passage, right? They, they, I, I like that it says, if you're offended and someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your other cheek to me. Because I think that shows a level of humility that is good. And particularly, we are here for a church gathering, and we're saying we want to hear Jesus' words. So, so that's good. Um, but Jesus, in this story, He's pointing out that just hearing the words is not the end goal, all right? And that's what he does by showing the similarities of these two houses, okay? So imagine a little bit here, okay? Both of these houses are going to look very much the same. You know, we tend to look at it like, oh, the, the foolish person's house is going to look like a shack, and this person's house is going to look like a mansion. But in reality, probably they had the same trim trees, they had the same uh, nice yard, they had fresh paint on the house. They had remodeled bathroom with subway tile. They had all the stuff that you have in your home, right? They, they, these houses probably look very similar. And, and that's what it's like in our culture. People hear the words of Jesus and they can have a life that is somewhat like the life that Jesus describes here in the sermon. They, you can do that. You can hear the words and they can have some effect on your morality or your ethics uh, and, and it can look pretty good in life. The problem is that that similarity, that's where it ends, because as Don Carson said this, he said, nothing could be more calamitous than coming to the end of this sermon and taking away the lesson that you need to be a little bit better of a person. That's not the point. But, but that's what happens. The foolish person would say, look, my house looks good. I hear the words of Jesus. So that's one similarity. The second one is that both of these houses have storms hit them. Okay, both the houses get the same treatment. Um, not only do they get a storm, but they get repeated storms. Look at verse 25 and verse 27. Over and over again, Matthew 7. 25 and 27, over and over and over again, Matthew uses this increasing picture of intensity. And it's like a multiple assault on each house, a storm bringing battering winds and then autumnal rains and then flooding happening. This is the picture that's taking place. It's not a calm picture. It's not just like a kid's song. It's actually like a tsunami. And the words kind of, show that all of them are related to these words like rain and rivers and winds to the word beat upon here in this passage. And so the point being driven home is that, look, it does not matter in life whether you are wise or foolish, you are going to have storms in your life. That's truth. You're going to feel like this, like maybe you feel this way this morning, I don't know. Um, but you're going to feel like you're getting battered. You're going to feel like it's one thing after another in life. You know, maybe you find out you've got a few months to live because you've got cancer. Maybe your child 
is diagnosed with leukemia. Maybe your friend has a horrible car wreck. Maybe your friends betray you. Maybe you lose your job and can't pay your bills. The point is, these are all things that are happening in real time, in real life. And every single person here, including myself, we know that we have multiple storms hitting our life. It doesn't matter if we're wise or foolish. It doesn't matter um, what house we're building, that's gonna take place. Storm after storm, rain, wind, floods. Maybe you're like, okay, uh, I, I read this verse this morning, Psalm 57, where the psalmist cries out and says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge until the storms of destruction pass by. Maybe you're just at a point where it's like, God, just help me get through this second, third, fourth, fifth storm that I am going through. Jesus makes the point, like you're gonna have storms and he's gonna reveal the foundation that you're on. He's gonna reveal if you're foolish or wise. And, and then it's not just personal. I think, for example, yesterday, we all know that we celebrated uh, or mourned rather, memorialized the 20 year anniversary of 9-11. And that was a horrible storm for our nation when 3,000 people were killed in one day. And we pray for and we mourn these people and, and their loved ones and the, the trauma that's been caused. Um, but if you think about it, it's not like it stopped at 9-11. What's the last 20 years been like nationally? And then we had 20 years of war. We had uh, political strife. We have racial and ethnic polarization. We've got uh, riots in the streets and riots in the Capitol building. We've got COVID, of course. Right, we have all these things happening. So it's like 20 years of this and it feels like 9-11 was that first big bubble where national security was burst in our minds and then every little bubble of thing that we could cling to for peace has been taken out since then, right? This, there's just no peace from the storm. But all of these things are not um, fully what Jesus is talking about in this passage, okay? There's allusions throughout the Sermon on the Mount um, to what the ultimate storm is. The ultimate storm is the reality of death and judgment. He talks about this, the whole sermon talks about God's kingdom's gonna come and some are gonna inherit the earth and others won't. God's kingdom's gonna come and so it's better if you chop your right hand off instead of sinning because if you don't do that, you could end up full body in hell, Jesus says. It's better to poke your eye out than lust because if you don't, you could end up in hell with two full eyes. The point that Jesus is making throughout this sermon is that, look, there's a real reward for his people afterwards in his kingdom and there's a real judgment coming. And that's what this storm overall is the picture. The last and greatest storm that we're all gonna face is death and final judgment. And look, I wouldn't even bring this up this morning if I didn't have to, if it wasn't in Jesus' words. It's not like I like talking about that, like, but, but it's real, okay? Jesus, he is real. And the one thing you can say about him is we may not like that statement that he makes. We may not like the reality, the picture that the Bible faces, but I think you can at least respect and come to appreciate the fact that he tells you like it is. He tells you the truth. Jesus Christ is not somebody who's going to hold back from you. He's not somebody who's going to let you go on in your destruction without at least lovingly warning you and saying, hey, um, I don't want you to be foolish. 
I don't want you to be foolish. So we're going to have storms in life. We are going to build our houses. It's going to look the same. You can't tell from the outside. Often, as we hear the words of Jesus, who's doing what and what's taking place. But I don't think that's the point of the sermon here, that they're similar. I think that the point is that they're different. And so let's look at the differences now about these builders. I want to talk about that. First of all, um, the foolish builder. Let's, let's start with the bad news, right? Let's start with the, the moron, okay? That's what we need to do. Start with the moron, get to the good guy. That's what we want. So Jesus identifies first the foolish one. And, and in Matthew's gospel, it says that he built his house on the sand. In Luke's gospel, it says that he didn't even build a foundation at all. He didn't even build a foundation. That's what, what takes place here. Why is that? What does that mean? First of all, it means that he hears what Jesus says and doesn't do what Jesus said. That's the, the point. You've heard it already. But I think sometimes we think about this foolish guy and we think, well, certainly he just must have chose wrong. A, a deliberate choice of this foundation. Like, yeah, bad choice, sand instead of rock. But I don't think it's deliberate at all. I think that he doesn't take seriously that which Jesus says, and I don't think that he actually, while he enjoys the process of hearing Jesus' words, he doesn't actually want to put them into practice. One commentator said this, hearing sermons is a dangerous business if you don't put them into practice. So that makes us all this morning in dangerous company. And it's a dangerous business what we're taking place. And this accords with the whole sermon where Jesus has said, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be the ones who hear these words and don't do them, who are religious hypocrites. Who, there's religious theater. This is not a distinction between believer and unbeliever. It's a distinction between believers, disciples, and those who pretend to be believers. Like 1 John says, verse 4 and 6 of chapter 2, it says, Whoever says that I know him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we're in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. And the point is very simple here, that Jesus is making this clear point, this difference between wise and foolish here and saying, we are very good in our culture at being talking heads. Okay. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that we're experts and we're talking when we're talking about the problems? I, I don't care if you're a scientist or not. Uh, we're experts about everything now. Uh, the internet has made us that way, so to speak. We have solutions, ideas, and it's no different when it comes to the religious realm of things. Like we really think, we, Christians, we love to talk, 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 talk. We love talk theology, philosophy. We love to talk politics and our opinions. We bring it all back to the Bible. We have a great little package that we can show everybody and like, look, I've got everything set. I've got the answers. We've listened to thousands of sermons. We've podcasted. I mean, infinite number of podcasts. And that's just Christians. I mean, to be fair, this is not just a Christian concept. It's religious people in general. I mean, I've been all over the world. I'll just tell you a little story about one time I, I think is kind of interesting. Um, I was in Amsterdam on a, a mission trip one time. And uh, while we were out in the streets with a couple guys from church here, uh, a guy came up to me and said, hey, would you like to buy some cocaine? And um, I said, no, 
just so you know. Um, I, not, you know, kudos to me. I said no to cocaine. Um, so I said, no, I, I don't want any cocaine. And then I proceeded to try to share a little bit about Jesus uh, with him. And he said, I'm a Muslim. And I said, hold on a minute. Let me get this straight. Like you're a Muslim and you tried to sell me cocaine. Um, do you not see the problem with the inconsistency? I'm not, I'm not a Muslim, but I know Muslim belief a little bit. Like that's inconsistent in your worldview to try to sell me cocaine as a Muslim. And so then you should have seen he got violently angry and tried to actually attack me right there in the streets. And the other guys, thankfully, were there to help protect me. So that's the way religious people are. And that's what Jesus is saying here about those who do not have the foundation on the rock, the foolish people, that they're people who hear Jesus' words, but in reality don't do them. That's what the Pharisees did, and, and that's what oftentimes we do. I mean, uh, parents, haven't you seen this? Like when you tell your kids something very simple, and it, for example, clean your room. I got this analogy from another preacher that says, brilliant, you know, clean your room. And what happens? They go upstairs and they immediately do it, right? No, not always. Um, what, what could happen, just imagine the scene here for a minute that if you told your kids to clean their room and you, uh, I'll, I'll cut the story short, so to speak, and you went up there after 15 minutes and they had a little um, a laptop up with a YouTube video on how to clean a room and there was themselves and maybe four friends, brothers and sisters around and they were studying about how to clean a room. What would your response be as a parent? would be like, hey, good job, guys. Well done. Your response was like, hey, great. I'm glad you watched the YouTube video. Could you actually clean the room right now? That's what I wanted you to do for the sake of your mother or for the sake of our home right now anyway. And so that's what Jesus is getting at, that we are very good at talking. And through that, what we do is we justify ourselves in thinking that because we know, then we do. And that's shifting sand. We justify ourselves by our knowledge and our intellect. And Jesus is saying very clearly, it's not going to be religious knowledge of his words that is an evidence of who his people are. It's going to be something more than that. Let's just tease us out a little bit more. Think about this guy, this foolish guy. What could be the reasons that he uh, built on the sand or didn't build a foundation at all? Maybe he won't listen to others. Right? Going back to the Proverbs, Proverbs 18.1 says that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wisdom. Self becomes their final authority and their ideas are the best and no one can tell them differently. Proverbs 26.12 then says that there's more hope for a fool than for a man who's wise in his own eyes. Okay, so Jesus is saying, don't be foolish here. There's more hope for a fool than if you think that you're wise in your eyes. Picture people coming up to this guy and saying, hey, um, brother, uh, are you sure this is where you want to build? There are flash floods in this area. Or picture uh, another relative or friend coming up and saying, hey, um, just so you know, I've got a YouTube video here on a, how to build a DIY foundation for your house it might be of use to you at this time. And so picture these people coming to this man, this foolish man, him saying, nope, I got it. Nope, I've got it. Maybe that's it. Maybe he was just lazy 
Maybe he was just lazy. Um, couldn't be bothered to do the hard work of building a foundation. That, that's so true. Proverbs 26, 16 says that the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Right? See, like, you've got the fool, you've got the wise in their own eyes, and then the lazy man wiser than seven. I mean, it's just like math there, a multiplication of foolery. And, and so... Maybe he's lazy, maybe he's prideful, I don't know, but, but I think the real problem is that he lacks eternal perspective, historical eternal perspective. Um, let me illustrate it this way. I don't know, if, have you guys heard of sinkholes in Florida? Have you heard of this phenomenon? Um, I have uh, been to Florida a few times and almost, I've, I've been to Disney World, almost went to Disney World once, and when I almost went, I'm thankful I didn't because there were sinkholes right next to the place where we were going to be staying. So that, that's not a good shout if you don't know. That's, that's a bad thing. What, what happens is the water comes underneath the limestone in the soil. It eats away at it. And then an entire house will be sucked under and, and into the ground. Okay? Now, seriously, you've got to ask the question. With all our technology, um, do you not think that these guys say, hey, could you order another test of the soil before we build this house here? Or we could drill down a little bit deeper, or maybe we could, you know, sonar waves. I don't know. We've got plenty of technology to be able to find out where these pockets of sand and limestone are underneath the bedrock. But people don't. I mean, this is an evidence of our foolishness. It's, it's our pride. We lack perspective. If you've seen this over and over again, wouldn't you say, I'm not going to do it that way? Despite examples of how planning in life is so important, young person after young person after young person does not plan for finances for when they're older. Despite the fact that you look at people when they're older and their bodies are weak, you still don't take care of your physical body. Despite the fact of all of these things, we lack historical perspective, and in Jesus' mind's eye, we lack eternal perspective because over and over and over again in the story of the Bible, people have uh, built themselves and their lives on some, something other than God, and they have found that to not be helpful. So, let's look at the wise builder. Um, a little good news here. The wise builder has this right foundation, and I want to talk about what that is. In Luke's parallel account, he talks about how um, not only does the wise builder have a foundation, but it says actually that he digs down really deep. He digs down super deep um, because in the summer months around Galilee, what would happen was there would be sand on the hard surface, and you'd have to dig down deep to get to the bedrock in order to build. Okay, and so that the flash floods would not take out your house. Um, you need a deep foundation if you're going to have a strong building. And you can see this through the, the biggest buildings in the world. Uh, there are many of them. Uh, for example, the Taipei Tower, 1,667 feet, and has a, a foundation of 262 feet down below it. Or the, the, the biggest foundation is 282 feet, and that's the Shanghai Tower. And then the tallest building in the world, while it doesn't have the deepest foundation, still has a pretty deep one of 164 feet deep. 
And I happened to watch a video this week of, of, the, of the making of the foundation for this, the, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. And here's what they said they used. They used 170,000 cubic meters of soil that they excavated just to dig the hole. They poured 211,000 tons of concrete into the foundation, 15,000 tons of steel cages to build and strengthen the foundation, and one million hours of man work to get this job done as a team. Okay, that's a foundation. They dug deep. And Jesus is making the point here that you have to have a strong foundation. And that foundation, primarily throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's, what he's doing is he's, he's being kind of um, cheeky, as they say in England, and he's saying, I am the foundation. All throughout, look, this is what Jesus says in the sermon when he says, I, or you've heard it said by people, I say to you. He's putting himself on par and over the Torah in the Old Testament that was written by God. He says, you've heard it said, I say to you. He is radically the center of this sermon. He's radically the center of everything here. And that's the point. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, you have God saying things like this in Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I'm the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. And then... 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, 3, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so be clear here. What God is saying through this story is there literally is no other foundation. There is none. You could search the entire world, and, and Jesus has hit at this in the sermon over and over. Treasure, money, your own care and your own anxieties, religious observance, prayer, Bible reading, all of these things, none of this is the foundation. It's only the foundation of himself as the rock. A wise builder recognizes and he's Jesus. Specifically, Jesus through his death on the cross for your sin and his resurrection to give you eternal life, a foundation for an eternal existence. And that is what he's pointing out, first of all. So that's important because we get into this and he says the wise builder both hears and does. And what I want to be clear about is he's not saying that your salvation comes by your obedience to Jesus Christ. But what he's saying is those with the foundation of Jesus Christ will build upon it by doing what he said. So let's look at that. The foundation is first Jesus. Then the foundation is knowing his word and doing it. Matthew 7 verse 21 Jesus has already said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. The one who does the will of my Father. As I said earlier, the Bible is a dangerous book to read. The church is a dangerous society to belong to because this is the real test. Do we do what Jesus said? Jesus said elsewhere, if you love me, you'll do the things I say. One man said that the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not meant to be admired, but to be obeyed. And the Bible is so clear. Look at another verse. I'm just going to make this point a little bit more. James 1, to 25. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he is like. But... 
The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's pretty clear. Jesus, in this book, James, we're going to see uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament that we're starting in a couple of weeks. We're going to see all this kind of teased out. It's called Gospel on the Ground, the, the series that Tucker is going to lead us in. It's going to be, uh, how do we do life in our trials and temptations? How do we do life and serve the marginalized and the poor? How do we have our emotions line up with, with, with what Jesus says? How do we have prejudices that need to be brought under the truth of the gospel? What about our words and our attitudes? What about our arguments and our planning in life and even our, our money and our prayers and everything? Like This series in James is going to tease out what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount even more clearly that, look, real faith means that you do. Okay, so I won't go into depth about that because we're going to be doing that for a couple months at least, but uh, I will say this, that the wise builder in Jesus's parable here is somebody with a growing relationship with Jesus that takes root deeply and then expresses itself in actual obedience to Jesus, not imagined obedience to Jesus. Maybe you... um, don't know the Bible well enough, or maybe you, you started, for example, this year, you started a Bible. Did anyone start a Bible reading plan back in January? Uh, maybe a couple of us. And then maybe you're in September, you're saying like, well, I really haven't done that. <laughs> um, I just want to encourage you, just do it today. You read the Bible today. And, and, and then maybe some of you are like, well, uh, I want to do Jesus's word. I want to obey him, but I need help. I just haven't got this cracked yet. I haven't figured it out. And I have a lot of different challenges in my life. Maybe I've been through some storms recently and it's hard for me to get myself up to obey Jesus. Or maybe I've never been really discipled by anybody and I don't have a mentor or anything like that. Well, that's why we're doing our classes that we talked about in the announcements. We're gonna do a class called Pain to Purpose. And the whole point there is, hey, let us together help each other to have our root system grow deep and and be able to get you through this season so that you can find purpose through the pain that you've gone through. Uh, Maybe you've been stripped right down to the foundation in this season of your life. And I want to tell you that there is uh, a way that God can rebuild you. Secondarily, um, I want to point out that the major emphasis that I see in this section of scripture is because of the context. That the foundation is Jesus, the foundation is hearing his word and doing it, But that all happens with the foundation of church and his community. Um, Look at Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50. Interesting story here that that I I love. Uh, Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him at one point and said, uh, in one gospel it says they thought he was crazy uh, because he was spending so much time amongst the people that he was with, this community that he had developed. And, And when that happened... They're like, hey, come outside. Your mother and your brothers are here. And he says this, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I think the whole picture of the Sermon on the Mount is one of Obedience only happening in community. This is why we're, we're, it's not a program we're pushing. It's not something that we're trying to get you to be religious. And we're literally saying, 
Look, do you want to obey Jesus? We want to help you to do that. We want to see you in relationship. How can you do all the stuff in the Sermon on the Mount, like uh, forgive one another? How can you make peace with one another? How can you uh, uh, give mercy to people? How can you do all of these things that Jesus has talked about, if not in relationship, in not just some ethereal way, but actual defined people? Like, I know that I have reconciled relationships with this small community within this large gathering. Because to be honest with you, I can forgive anyone here for like 30 minutes or an hour that we see each other every Sunday morning. But to do that on an ongoing basis in relationship that is like family, like Jesus is talking about. You've seen The Chosen. You know what I'm talking about. Those guys are whack. They're seriously crazy. And so um, the disciples all through the gospel saying stupid things, but yet Jesus bears with them. They're in community, and the same thing is true of us. And I think this bears out because in the New Testament elsewhere in Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, you, the church are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God in the spirit. All the Sermon on the Mount, all of the New Testament says 59 times one another. Bear with one another, forgive one another, teach one another, correct one another 59 times. Be humble with one another, all, be gentle, be kind to one another, be compassionate with one another. All the, these things are only done in the context of actual people that you actually live your life with. So this is why I think we need to reread the whole sermon with what Jesus said at the beginning. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And now Luke tells us that he says, blessed are you poor in spirit. Now, I, I think we need to get Texas in this place and, and say this. I think it's the plural you, like all of the New Testament, he says, blessed are y'all poor in spirit. Blessed are y'all. He's talking to a corporate entity, to a community. He's not saying that you're going to be blessed as you are piously religious by yourself. His whole point in the sermon is go and do that privately. Now, get with my people, be salt and light in a city set on the hill by being something different. Jesus has been saying you're going to be blessed as a y'all, not individually, only. And so, um, I'm going to tie this together if I can. I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, oak trees, just to change the analogy from buildings to plants here, uh, oak trees make their uh, groves together in bunches, just naturally. It seems to happen that way. Um, And as they grow and as they mature, what takes place is the root system becomes intertwined down below the surface and it provides strength to the whole grove of the trees that's there. Um, So if a storm comes, and, and the winds blow, and there's a weak tree that, that lacks nutrients. The, the root system has fed itself, and then that tree still stands. Okay, it's able to draw on the roots of the other trees and remain healthy enough to have life still. Okay, and I think that that gets to what Jesus is saying about the context of doing the word of God in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I really... It it actually breaks my heart that we are so individualistic that people, as a pastor, I just need you to know, this breaks my heart. I've seen over and over again storms come into people's lives 
Then we get a phone call at the church. I've, I've been at several churches. It's happened in every single place I've been. And people say, I've been attending here for years and I have nobody to help me. <laughs> I've, got, I've got no one to give, help me with meals, to take care of my relatives. I've got nobody. And, and, and listen, brothers and sisters, <laughs> that is not doing the word of God. That is not doing the words of Jesus in this sermon. That is not being his disciples. Indeed, he wants us to be connected in such a way like those oak trees so that when the time comes and the storm happens, you have a group of people around you that's saying, like, I am here to walk with you through the purposes of God in the midst of your pain. I, um, gotta, I, I love the way the Lord prepares you. I, I, got, I got a chance to sit down with a guy from our church this week. His name's Mike. He's most famously in the Calvary Community video. If you watch that, he gives a guy a hug in that video. So greet Mike if you see him. Um, but Mike told me a story that when he was in sixth grade, sadly, his mother passed away. And I mean, I, that, just, that just breaks you, right? Um, and as he told me that, it's amazing to me that, that he's healthy and he's strong still. But he said, the amazing thing was my mom, before she passed away, told my sister, drag him to youth group and make sure that he walks with Jesus. So I love that, that in the family they had that. And then in addition to that, when it happened, the whole entire church that he was a part of, it was a smaller church, gathered around him and essentially surrounded him as community. You know, they mentored him. They became fathers and mothers, the family that Jesus is talking about here, and it actually worked. And he's standing here today. He's part of our church family. He's a Christian because people did the word of God because they were true disciples of Jesus. So uh, that's why um, I'm just gonna give another plug. Come to the community's kickoff. That's why we want people, we want people to be disciples indeed. We want people to come tonight or just sign up interest if you can't make it. There's a, there's a little flyer you guys got when you came in here, the community life for this season. Look at ways where you can dig in deep to your foundation, where you can connect with people. Please be part of the body of Christ as he's called us to do the words of Jesus. All right, let me close here. Let's talk about the outcomes. Um, The words of Jesus are meant for our good. He invites us to flourish. He invites us to wisdom. You're gonna have storms. You're going to get beat against. And he says, I want you to flourish. As a believer, I, I want you to know that in this season, Everything you do counts and matters. Um, we can get discouraged. We can get to the point in place where we actually say, um, you know what, I'm kind of giving up on this church thing, on this Jesus thing. I'm giving up on so much of this because in reality, it just seems like, where's the reward? It's storm after storm after storm after storm. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that there is a day of coming for your reward. And it says, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest. So don't get discouraged. Like Galatians says, it says, do not grow weary in doing good for in due season, you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. Continue, press on. When, when community and relationships are difficult, don't give up, press in, reconcile relationships. 
the foundation that you build in doing so, when you stand before Jesus, will be a reward and a gift to you for all of eternity. Your life matters. Your building matters. What you're doing matters every day at work, in your home. Every single thing and how you build matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be tested. You'll be judged. But you'll come through the fire with something. Now, second, if you are somebody who's just attending, first of all, thank you for being here. I'm not saying like, hey, if you don't hear the words of Jesus and do them all right now, like get out of here. Definitely not the point today. But the point is this. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, he's calling you into a life that says, uh, as he says in the Gospels, I, I say, come, pick up your cross and follow me. Come and do the words of Jesus. Die to your self-rule. Die to your individualism. Die to all that you think makes you a follower just by hearing and doing only what you want to do. Live for Jesus in the context of his people. Live for Jesus every day in the, with the gospel on the ground. And I have to ask you the question, is that your real desire? That's the distinction. People desire just a little placebo, a little help, you know, therapeutic help on Sunday, or do you desire to really know Jesus Christ and, and put that into action? Do you hunger? Do you thirst for righteousness? And then finally, um, look, there, I, there's got to be some folks here who don't know Jesus. And thank you again for being here. I just want to say this, that um, haven't you discovered how weak the sand of things you trust in your life is? Haven't you discovered that when you trust in people, they disappoint you? Haven't you discovered that when you trust in religion or a cult or some supposed other revelation, it, it disappoints you, it leads you astray, it hurts you? Haven't you discovered that when you trust in money, it's gone the next day? Haven't you discovered that all these things are the shifting sand of life? I just want to tell you, then Jesus offers you eternal life, a firm foundation, and he rose from the dead. He says, come and put your trust in me. Fall on me. He'll say in Matthew 21, whoever, the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Listen, if you come to Jesus, you'll be poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, though. You'll, be, you'll come to the point where you're like, you know what? All the stuff that I did in my life is broken. <laughs> but that's a beautiful brokenness. That's a beauty because then you can say and be honest and say, that did not give me what I was longing for. And he offers and says, I will. I will, if not, with love, with respect. Jesus also said, whoever this stone falls on will crush him. And, and, I, and I lovingly want to say to you that this picture that Jesus painted today, he sets it before you, wise and foolish for all of us, whatever we are. He says, be my people indeed and do what I say, or the storms will come. And the word is a cataclysmic fall. I love you enough. Jesus loves you enough to tell you to say, turn from that, build your life on him. Don't build your life on anything else. No leader, no person, no philosophy, no religion. Jesus Christ.